0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm happy to be with you on another nice Chico afternoon. I'm glad you have time to spend with me and hopefully I'll give you some interesting entertainment, a little bit of knowledge, a little food for thought. And we talk about Northern California business and business related things. Of course, uh, Taxes are part of business. I do a lot of work on taxes and Oh, it's been a long it's been a long April, but it's almost over now. So that's kind of nice. So now that the weather's getting better, we're back to a normal Chico kind of year. What I wanted to start off with today was I've got an article all about Californians considering fleeing the state and they blame sky high costs. And I can, I can kind of understand that. It's interesting because part of the new tax law will help to encourage people not to stay in California. And first, I'm just going to talk a little bit about this article. I know people personally who are getting ready to leave if they don't have to stay here for their jobs, if they're retiring. And it says here, uh, 53% of Californians polled in this poll say they are considering fleeing, representing a jump over the 49% a year ago. And the chief reason for dissatisfaction isn't wildfires or earthquakes, but housing costs and availability. So of course in the In our immediate area, we've got all the housing issues because of the fire and the displacement of people. But just in general, this article talks about, uh, it's from the Los Angeles Times. And uh, basically it says, California is a great, great place if you're young and ambitious and daddy's paying the rent. Said a professional fellow in urban futures at Chapman University in Orange, California. What I wanted to point out is the new tax law discourages people from living in places like California, especially if they have a decent amount of income. Of course, if you're a state, you want the people with the good income to stay here because they'll be here buying things, spending money, keeping the economy going. Here's the way it works. One of the one of the negative things about the new tax law for us here in California is one of the deductions that got limited is the state and local tax and property tax category. It got limited, and no matter how much you make or no matter what your other numbers are, the most you can list on that line is $10,000. And that includes property tax paid, plus state income tax. Here's the dilemma. If you are a person with a home in the Bay Area or Los Angeles or an expensive home here in Northern California, and say you paid 800,000, your property taxes alone that you can deduct for your taxes would reach that 10,000, which means that you've already got the 10,000 just in your property taxes to deduct. Any state income tax you pay is not deductible for federal anymore. In the old days, even if you were a wealthy guy making $500,000 and let's say they were paying, just call it round numbers, about $50,000 in state income tax, they would get to deduct the $50,000 and if they're in a 35% federal bracket, that means a third of that fifty dollars is tax savings for the federal side. So they're really only paying uh, $35,000 instead of fifty. dollars or less 33,000 the problem now is the federal tax rates are a bit lower but none of that 50,000 of state income tax that the person would have been deducting in the past is deductible because they already reached their 10,000 with their property tax that's the dilemma that makes it even more attractive for people like i happen to know some personally that are going to move when they retire to Washington, there's no state income tax at all. So if that person who makes a good retirement money, if that person would be normally paying $30,000 to California in state income tax that's essentially not deductible for taxes at all, that is $30,000 of revenue that the state of California will lose. The state of Washington will gain a person who's got good retirement income and they will be up there spending their money, uh, using the restaurants, uh, buying things there. That is the problem. In that respect, the tax law didn't do any real services to people who live in high-tax high states. California, New York, New Jersey. I've done most of these other states' taxes. A lot of these other states, they're fairly high tax, but it's a flat rate. If you have a lower income, like for instance, if you live in Oregon, if you only make say thirty or forty thousand a year, you would pay more state tax in Oregon than you would if you were in California because California has a graduated tax rate like the federal and it starts at like one percent, two percent, four percent, six percent. Then you climb up if you have a good income, you're in the eight or nine, it's 9.3% for most people. California actually gives a break to the lower income people. Some states are more like a flat tax. Pennsylvania, I believe, is flat, 4 or 5%. Oregon is 4 or 5%. So people actually pay more state tax in some of the other states if they're lower income. But if they're wealthier, they pay less income tax in other states than they would in California. It's almost encouraging people to leave the state, and I am seeing that quite a bit in people that I've talked to. I know a lot of the people displaced by the campfire, if it turns out they had a relative or a place to go out of state, they're already gone. So we've already lost some of those to an out-of-state move. I'm not certain how many people are going to come back from a state like Texas or Florida that, number one, has no income taxes, and number two is known to be business-friendly as far as trying to create jobs and trying to get businesses to start and to be in those states. So I doubt if there's a lot of people moving out of California to a business-friendly place like Texas or Florida and then deciding to move back when their home gets rebuilt or something. I just don't know. But I don't think that's super likely. But it's possible. Anything's possible. So the verdict is in, now the tax season's over, but it is true here in Butte County, we are allowed an extra days. The days until April 30th are fully legal to file without any late filing penalties. In case you forgot to do an extension, or you forgot to call someone like me to help you with an extension, or you owe a bunch of income tax and you forgot to send it in on April 15th since you're in Butte if you if you live or have a business in Butte County you are basically getting a free pass until April 30th to get the tax filed or get the taxes paid and you won't be considered late this is standard practice the IRS does this in all the disaster areas i remember katrina the big hurricane katrina that devastated new orleans a few years back there was lots of extensions and times to file and all kinds of allowances made. So, you know, they, they do kind of want to look friendly during times like this. So it, it's good PR for them to say, oh, we'll give you two weeks more to, to pay your tax since you're in, a, in the fire zip codes of Butte County, which is how they're going to work it. Which is kind of nice, just in case you weren't able to get everything done. You've got until April 30th to get that tax paid or get that tax filed. Uh, the way I read the law, I'm assuming you could also file an extension by April 30th and it would count. But don't hold me to that because these things are still, they aren't black and white written in stone. It just says deadlines Deadlines from November 8th through April 15th are extended till April 30th. That's all it really says. And there could be some arguments down the road. In other words, if you send in a tax return and a payment on April 30th and you owed $20,000, there still is a chance you'd get a penalty letter from the IRS. If that happens, you would then write a letter back and say, I'm in the FIRE zip code I had until April 30th, and then they should remove it. I also just read that California is going along with that extension for for our county, but Don't quote me on that either because I did not have time to read that whole article and I just didn't investigate it enough to be certain. But I do believe California has conformed to that allowance and the California penalties will also be reduced or eliminated as long as you pay or file by April 15. So that's the latest on tax filings. Of course, April is also a business tax month if you... Or a business owner that pays payroll, you know you have to get your payroll quarterly taxes filed by April 30th. You also have to file your quarterly sales tax by April 30th for the quarter ending March 31. You business owners, I'm sure, are pretty familiar with all that. But if you need any help, you should enlist the help of a tax professional like myself or some of the other high-quality tax people we have in Chico. I'm always available for a free consultation. It might be in person, might be over the phone, depending on what you need. But my number is 895-3353. And you can call me anytime and I'd be happy to meet you and see if there's anything I can help you with tax-wise. Next topic is the business of being a landlord. I'm reading a article here that I actually got from the Chico Enterprise Record. I'm not sure it was written by the Enterprise Record, but it was in the Enterprise Record. And it's called Rent Control Could Be Back on California Ballot by 2020. And the subtitle is, After November Failure Rent Control Supporters Are Trying Again. If you remember, there was an election uh, ballot initiative in November that would have place some things on rent control. I can't remember all the details. It did not pass, so that was a bullet avoided by landlords. But I'm just going to kind of skim this article to let you know what's going on on the state level here. It says, after a crushing defeat in November, the rent control advocates who brought you Prop 10 last year are back, and they're launching a new campaign to get the issue on the ballot as soon as 2020. The new initiative would allow individual cities and counties to impose rent control laws on residential properties that are at least 15 years old, a controversial move that would increase the number of rent-controlled units in the state. The proposed 2020 ballot measure dubbed the Rental Affordability Act is a scaled-back version of Proposition 10, which voters rejected last year. It's already drawing opposition from critics who argue rent control discourages the production of rental units and will make the state's housing shortage worse. But proponents who plan to start collecting signatures in support of the ballot measure as soon as the state gives them the okay say expanding rent control would help protect the state's most vulnerable tenants from getting priced out of their homes. Among the 17 million renters in California, the suffering is unabated. Michael Weinstein, president of the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, which is backing the ballot proposal and also led pro-Prop 10 efforts, said Monday. Hmm. So it would be 15-year buildings old or older, rather than giving cities free reign to impose sweeping rent control. The measure also would allow cities to impose rent control on single-family homes, but only if the landlord owns three or more homes. And the measure would allow for limited vacancy control, which is currently prohibited. When a a tenant moves out of a rent control department, cities and counties could limit rent increases for the next tenant as long as they allow the landlord to raise the rent at least 15% over three years. Well, that's interesting. Weinstein is a controversial figure in the housing and healthcare communities thanks to his frequent dives in the political arena. Uh, okay, so he sounds like a political-type political, political type animal there. I, I have mixed feelings, as usual, on something like this. On the one hand, it is unfortunate that People who own property would have free reign to raise the rents as much as they want. But it seems to me that the the market should take care of that. In other words, free markets normally take care of things like prices and supply and demand. In other words, if one landlord in Chico is greedy and decides to double the rents on all of his apartments, unless he's colluding with other landlords to make it a group thing seems to me that the competition would drive him out of business because the people with the rents not doubled would be overflowing with people wanting to rent and they would fill up and they'd make money. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just throwing out the fact that supply and demand is sort of the answer to all of these kinds of arguments. So I'll be right back with the second segment of Business Buzz. we got a lot more good information. Thanks for spending time with me. I'll be right back after the message. You know, many women fall victim to breast cancer. If detected early, though, steps can be taken toward the prevention and treatment of this silent predator. So schedule your mammogram and have a checkup today. It just may save your life. This message from Priya Indian Cuisine in Chico. They're serving up the best Indian food in town, hands down. Lunch buffet and more, so stop by Priya Indian Cuisine at 2574 Esplanade or dial 530-899-1055. They're open from 11 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. and from 5 to 9. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm glad you're here with me today. I've had a very busy tax season. Now things are settling down a little bit, but now we've got this April 30th deadline that I was just talking about, and that is making it just a little, stretching it out a little bit longer. So I was just saying that supply and demand normally, if you allow a market to be a free market, supply and demand will normally take care of things. And that's why this thing about rent control, I agree that if landlords got together and purposely raised rents all at the same time, that would be unfair and that would be like a monopoly kind of thing and that should be illegal. But I'm not sure that the answer to the rent issue is rent control. Remember... All living costs are up. Buying a house cost is up. If houses are up, you know, 100% in the last 10 years here, well, then rents probably are too, and that would be normal. So it's not abnormal for rents to go up. I think the problem we have in this state is that if you've got millions of people that really have no real income except government assistance, then obviously, yeah, they can't handle rent increases like somebody who's, you know, out working a second job or working extra hard or a two-earner family can do. So I just think you just have a basic income inequality problem that's not going to be really fixed by, I don't think rent control will fix that in the long run. I think it's not a good thing. I think it's not a good thing For anybody to be living on a fixed income and then trying to stay living in the most expensive state in the country, that's just my opinion, but I won't uh, prognosticate any further on that subject right now. But I just think rent control could probably be solved with the supply and demand theory. If rents get too high, then people look for a place to rent in a different location or from a different landlord seems to me that that would make sense. I do think that if rent control was too strict, there would be a shortage of housing because people wouldn't want to build houses to be a landlord knowing that they couldn't cover their costs later by future rent increases. So that's just my opinion. And like I say, my overriding theory is that supply and demand takes care of all that. It's like me. I don't get... I'm not a doctor. My... When I get a client coming through the door that needs my help, they have to pay me. They're not going through their insurance plan like they would for a surgery and they don't have to shop to see whether the doctor they're talking to is going to charge them a hundred thousand or if they could go next door and find a guy who'll do it for 75,000. That would be how medical the medical business would work if there was supply and demand working on it. But since it's an insured weird business that has no real foundation in reality. There is no pricing supply and demand mechanism for setting correct prices. In other words, if someone walks into my office with a simple tax return and I quote him $1,500, he's going to go to the next guy down the street and find a lower price. That's supply and demand. That's how it works. Some businesses aren't really set up for supply and demand, and it's because of, like, the the insurance angle. The insurance angle on medical makes that not a supply and demand business. The interesting thing about medical that is supply and demand is this. Since cosmetic surgeries are not insured and not reimbursable by insurance, if you look at a chart of medical costs over the, say the last 30 years, you'll see that they've risen in every department except cosmetic surgery. Cosmetic surgery prices have actually declined hugely. And the reason for that is that it's not an insurance issue. If I if I decide I need a nose job and I go to one plastic surgeon and he tells me it's going to be $20,000 and I go next door and the other guy tells me it'll be 5000 and he's got the same board certified licenses as the first guy, I might go to the $5,000 guy because I can't afford the twenty. That is supply and demand. The problem is, like I was saying with the surgery, if, if you get in an accident and you go to the emergency room and they have to do a surgery on your back, you're going to get they're going to check your insurance papers and they're going to do you an operation. Hopefully it'll go well, but the doctor might be getting paid 50, a hundred, I don't know what they get paid. Whatever it is, it has nothing to do with supply and demand. And it may not have that much to do with the quality of his work. I mean, I'm assuming that bad quality work would be, you know, they, they wouldn't stay long at the hospital, but I just believe supply and demand and free markets are really the answer to 90% of all these problems. But unfortunately, in our world with all the government regulations, we have, we have hardly any free markets. And of course, when I get to talking about gold, which I always, I always end up doing, that's, again, not a free market. But as far as the whole landlord rent control thing... Supply and demand, I believe, would fix the situation. Uh, and the more regulations you have, the less supply and demand can take over. And I understand you have to have regulations in things like rentals. Otherwise, you'd be like in the 1800s with the rich guys in New York running the tenement slums and uh, having terrible terrible places for people to live as, as tenants, and that wouldn't be right. So there's a mix of regulation and you, with regulation, you give up free markets. But I think there's a proper level of regulation that needs to be done. And I'm sure that the whole landlord world is regulated enough to where it's already a semi-free market, but not totally. But that's just my opinion. Free markets pretty much solve most problems with all these arguments about pricing and rent control or price controls. Remember Nixon tried price controls in the 70s and it didn't work. And that was that's like the antithesis of a free market would be a president declaring price controls and no price hikes allowed on anything. Uh, that's that's when it gets really weird. So now I'm going to move on to another market that's not a free market. and it's called, and this is from March 12th of 2019 from my favorite news source. I found it on Zero Hedge. And the, the place that this is from is called SovereignMan.com. And his name is Simon Black. And it was, uh, it was uploaded on Zero Hedge on March 12th. So it's about a couple months old now. And it's called Predictions for Gold from a Legendary Natural Resource Investor says, here's when you know that you've made it into popular culture. It's when you get credit for a great quote, but no one really knows who said it first. If there's any doubt, people's go-to list is usually either Albert Einstein, Mark Twain, or the former New New York Yankees catcher Yogi Berra. For example, there's the quote, predictions are hard, especially about the future, which is often attributed to Berra. And compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world attributed to Einstein. For Twain, pick a random quote and people may give him the credit. Another guy who has the investing world quoting him but hasn't yet made it into popular culture is legendary investor Rick Rule. Rule is the president and CEO of Sprott U.S. Holdings and an expert natural resource analyst. But Rick's knowledge goes well beyond just natural resources. Regarding economic cycles, Rick has famous, often repeated quips like bear markets are the author of bull markets and bull markets are the author of bear markets. In his 40 years as an analyst, Rick has lived through the highly critical, highly cyclical commodities markets. This is a quote. Low prices in a sector cause lots of producers to shut their doors. Eventually supply of that commodity starts to drop and prices level off. Then when demand eventually returns, there isn't enough supply or companies producing the commodity to meet demand, prices soar, and the cycle starts all over again. Now, I'll point out that the silver and gold mining companies are basically broke because of the artificially depressed prices of their product. It's like if someone came to me and told me, well, you can't you you can, you can charge more than $100 for a tax return no matter how hard it was to do and how long it took you to finish it. That would be like telling a gold miner what they tell them today. You can't get more than 1,300 an ounce for that ounce of gold, no matter how long it took you to get out of the ground, no matter how many trucks and manpower and gallons of oil it took to get it out. So I'll be right back on Business Buzz. We're going to talk free markets and not-so-free markets. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. You wanted to be a teacher when you were little, but as you grew up, things changed. Teaching just didn't seem like the best option anymore, so you decided to become something else. But what would your 12-year-old self say? Interesting and innovative things are happening in teaching today, so it's time to put it back on your list. Don't try to convince yourself otherwise. You had it right the first time. Find out how you can make more at teach.org. Make more. Teach. Brought to you by Teach and the Ed Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm glad you could spend an afternoon, part of your afternoon with me. I know it's getting to be warm outside and the traffic's not fun this time of day either, so hopefully you'll be, you'll be able to relax and uh, just take it easy at some point today, but thanks for being here. I was reading this article called, Prediction for Gold from a Legendary Natural Resource Investor. We were talking about supply and demand. So with one quarter in 2019 nearly gone, I thought we would check in on Rick's 2019 look ahead on gold so far. Okay, he says, we haven't had a major gold discovery in the past 15 years, and miners have cut their exploration budgets to 11-year lows to sur- to survive tough times. And after a grinding eight-year bear market, the gold price is starting to tick up. Remember, bull markets always follow bear markets. Gold is about to get more expensive, Rick agrees. In December, he suspected that a gold market had started or was about to begin. Besides nearly a decade of low gold prices, America's increasing debt will also drive prices higher. We need to ponder the fact that our communal debt, federal, state, and local, both on balance sheet and also off balance sheet by way of entitlements, is estimated by the Congressional Budget Office to be nudging $200 trillion. Meanwhile, household net worth across the United States, assets minus liabilities, not including our communal liability, Is about 100 trillion. And I'll mention here that last week I brought up the fact that the entire value of all the real estate in the country is only $31 trillion. So when there's debts of 200 trillion, you know it's it's completely out of control. Simply put, the U.S. has stacked up its liabilities without the assets to back them up. With this much outstanding debt, the U.S. will have to either turn on the printing press's full blast and devalue the U.S. dollar, which would dramatically increase the gold price. Or the U.S. could risk a default, which would have investors scrambling away from the dollar and again would increase the price of gold. This growing debt bomb is actually becoming relevant in 2019. Buyers of U.S. government debt like China are getting the picture and decreasing their exposure to U.S. liabilities. And the Federal Reserve isn't buying as much debt as it did in the last decade. Rick sums it up, saying, Our ability to continue business as usual is beginning to be constrained by arithmetic. Just last week, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin suspended investments in two federal retirement funds to prevent exceeding the debt ceiling. For all these reasons, Rick's investment solution for 2019 is to return to fundamentals. Quote, I think 2019 will be probably an excellent year to establish positions in investments that one is attracted to on a fundamental fundamental rather than a momentum basis. There's nothing more fundamental than gold. It's been a proven store of value for over 5,000 years. It's protected people's wealth during times of runaway inflation, wars, and massive government debt. And today, gold is one of the few asset classes that's not been bid up to near historic highs. If the world begins to lose faith in the U.S. dollar, as Rick thinks is possible then we're in the beginning stages of what could be a historic bull run. Gold has plenty of room to run from here. And he he, he ends this article saying, I encourage you to diversify at least a portion of your wealth into precious metals. And now that, that sounds a lot like what I say because I've been saying for quite a while, you need to at least have part of your money in something that's real as opposed to uh, digits in a... Uh, in a bank account now. I did explain a week or two ago that when you put money in a bank, you are lending the money to the bank, and they can do whatever they want with it. If you remember that, and I also pointed out that the people who actually own your shares of stock is not you; it's a thing called Seed and Company, C E D E. And I pointed that out on a previous installment of uh, Business Buzz. So consider yourselves warned. But remember, like I say, these things sound negative, but they're positive because they're here to help you diversify a little bit. So that turns out to be a positive, even though overall it's going to be a negative. Now, I got one other article I'm going to uh, share with you on this third segment today. And it's by my one of my favorite authors named Egon von Griers. And it's from April 12th and it is called Silver Shortages Are Here and Gold Scarcity Is Coming. MMT is the socialist dream. It officially stands for Modern Monetary Theory, but a more appropriate name would be More Money Theory because MMT is just a fancy name to justify more money printing, more deficits, and more debts. Socialists love MMT because for a sovereign nation, it justifies constantly living above your means. This is, of course, nothing new for the U.S., which has practiced MMT for some 70 years. Not since the early 1960s has the U.S. had a real budget surplus. Europe has had socialist governments for decades, but for the U.S. it is is a relatively new phenomenon. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has now picked up the baton from Krugman, and Krugman is a famous economist, arguing that socialism and deficit spending is the solution to the U.S. problems and the world's. And the next paragraph is titled U.S. Uber Spending. Trump, who normally is as far from a socialist as you can get, is nevertheless applying MMT to the U.S. economy by continuing to spend money that doesn't exist. His tax cutting and Uber spending, combined with the imminent downturn of the U.S. economy, will soon put the U.S. in the same category as countries like Italy. That is what is called the largest, called the basket case category, where default will be unavoidable. As opposed to Italy, the U.S. can print its own money, and they continue to do it at an ever-increasing rate. Just look at the chart below, which shows the only way the U.S. government knows how to grow GDP. But we must remember that printing unlimited amounts of worthless money leads to a total debasement of the currency, which is just another form of default. From 1970 to 2008, it took 70 cents of debt to produce $1 of GDP, and that's gross domestic product. From 2008 to 2019, it has taken $4 of debt to produce $1 in GDP. In simple terms, the U.S. is running on empty. And the chart shows that it's called the Law of Vanishing Returns. It shows that in the old days, A little bit of debt could produce more GDP, but in the new current era, it takes $4 of debt to produce $1 of GDP. Then he says false money leads to false values. How can anyone believe that any of the values we are looking at today are real? Jeff Bezos and his wife are worth $150 billion, and his company Amazon has a market cap of $1.4 trillion. These are just fantasy numbers. And so are all the other billion and trillion dollar values that have been been created out of nothing. So the U.S. government has printed 13 trillion dollars since 2008. And the world as a whole has increased total debt by 125 trillion dollars. It is all this money that has created the illusory wealth in the world in this century. Very few people realize that these telephone book numbers will all vanish in the next crisis, and lose 90 to 100% in nominal value. Then he says, real GDP growth has been negative since 2000. Looking at the growth in GDP based on real inflation, and that's from a website called Shadow Stats that I've told you about before, real GDP growth has grown by less than 2% annually since 1990. And since 2000, real GDP growth in the U.S. has been negative. The reason for that is obvious. The U.S. has printed $4 to achieve $1 increase in nominal gross domestic product. But the nominal figure is totally meaningless since it has only been achieved by printing $13 trillion of fake money that has zero value. How can anyone believe that you can create wealth by just creating money out of thin air? If an individual prints fake money, that would be a blatant fraud and he would end up in prison. So why isn't it fraud when a government prints money? Well, of course, it is fraud of the highest degree. A country that creates debts and prints money is defrauding its people. But sadly, the people are unaware of the misdeeds of their government. They don't realize that the value of the dollar, pound, or euro in their pockets is declining precipitously. The best way to determine the decline of paper money over time is to measure it against gold. All currencies are crashing against gold in this century. The dollar has lost 79% since 2000, measured in gold, and the pound has lost 82% since 2000, as the charts show. The decline has paused since 2012, but the next leg down is imminent. Within the next four to six years, the move down should take the dollar and the pound to their intrinsic values of zero. This fall will be accompanied by unlimited money printing in a final and desperate attempt by central banks to save the global financial system. Sadly, they are guaranteed to fail. In the short term, gold seems to have stalled just below the critical gold line at 1350. Just like the French did in World War II, the Bank of International Settlements and the bullion banks are defending this line strongly. The Germans pushed through the Maginot Line at its weakest point, and the same will soon be the case with the gold line. Gold has already broken through this line in many currencies like the Australian and Canadian dollar, the pound, the Swedish and Norwegian kroner, etc. Thus, it is only a matter of time before the U.S. dollar line is broken at 13.50. Investors who hold gold for the right reasons are not concerned. Gold is eternal money and therefore short-term moves are irrelevant. We know that when governments and central banks behave irresponsibly, like they have done for the last 100 years, It will all end badly. When it does, gold will reach levels that no one can imagine today. But when that happens, the world will be a much worse place to live. So best to enjoy the present times as long as they last. The fall of the EU and the Euro is inevitable. The unelected and unaccountable Brussels elite is desperate to stop the sinking ship from going to the bottom. They are doing what they can to stop Brexit just like they have interfered in Ireland, Denmark, Greece, and Italy. But they will not succeed. Italy's economy and banking system is in a hopeless position, and the coming crisis and default will have severe repercussions for French banks, Spanish banks. Well, I'll get back to that in a minute. And Remember, we turn negatives into positives on Business Buzz. Stay tuned. I'll be right back after the break. Archaeologists find the king who didn't exist. This is Ken Ham, an Aussie transplant with a passion for sharing God's word. Yesterday, we learned that the Bible is true because it's the word of God. And there are several evidences that confirm its truth. And one of those is archeology. span Throughout history, archeologists have scoffed at people, events, or places mentioned in the Bible. But often they found evidence for these same people, events, or places later. Here's one example the prophet Isaiah mentions an Assyrian king named Sargon. Now, since the name wasn't found on lists of kings elsewhere, archaeologists assumed the Bible was wrong. But then they discovered Sargon's palace and an inscription mentioning the very battle Isaiah records. Get equipped to defend the truth of God's Word when you go to AnswersRadio.com. And subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham by visiting AnswersRadio.com. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. Welcome back to Business Buzz. Now, this last segment is going to be called the Salvation Segment because we're going to solve our financial problems with a little bit of money insurance. So I'm going to read a little bit more from this article from Egon von Greyer's. I'm going to continue with that last sentence I was on. Italy's economy and banking system is in a hopeless position, and the coming crisis and default will have severe repercussions for French banks Spanish banks, the ECB, and thus the global financial system. That is one of the potential triggers for the next global crisis, which will be much bigger than the 2007 to 2009 crisis. I discussed some of these issues. And then he says, The inevitable global financial crisis is approaching fast. A final hurrah in stocks is still possible. That can finish abruptly or it can take a few months. Once it finishes, we will see the biggest secular bear market in history. Gold's next move up is not far away. There is still a short time when gold and silver can be bought at reasonable prices, but we are already experiencing supply problems in silver, so there is not much time left to acquire proper wealth protection in physical precious metals. Once the paper shorts run for cover and ask for delivery, there will be no metals available. I would advise investors not to wait for that moment. So, that's just another article that mentions that you need to have, you need to get some salvation from your paper money. And that is to have part of your money in physical gold. That's pretty much the lesson. And I do harp on that because to me, it's very interesting that it's very interesting that you can go hours and hours and days upon days. And if you don't listen to anything alternative like, me or Egon von Gryers or Rick Rule or any of the people I quote here, if you don't pay attention to some contrary news, all you'll hear is how safe your money is and how smart you are that it's where it's at. And it's not necessarily the case. Now the next part of the salvation segment is going to be me reading my favorite book called A Course in Miracles. And this is part of the workbook, and it's Lesson 70. And uh, these are the things that if you can get these into your head, it will really, it can really help you. I get a lot of help from this. It calms me down. It lowers my stress level totally. Not totally, but, you know, a long, it goes a long ways toward helping. So I encourage you to pick up this book. It's pretty much free on the Internet. Just type in A-C-I-M and you can read the whole thing for free. And this is Lesson 70 and it says, My salvation comes from me. All temptation is nothing more than some form of the basic temptation not to believe the idea for today. Salvation seems to come from anywhere except from you. So too does the source of guilt. You see neither guilt nor salvation as in your own mind, and nowhere else. When you realize that all guilt is solely an invention of your mind, you also realize that guilt and salvation must be in the same place. In understanding this, you are saved. The seeming cost of accepting today's idea is this. It means that nothing outside yourself can save you. Nothing outside yourself can give you peace. But it also means that nothing outside yourself can hurt you or disturb your peace, or upset you in any way. Today's idea places you in charge of the universe, where you belong because of what you are. This is not a rule that can be partially accepted, and you must surely begin to see that accepting it is salvation. It may not, however, be clear to you why the recognition that guilt is in your own mind entails the realization that salvation is there as well. God would not have put the remedy for the sickness where it cannot help. That is the way your mind has worked, but hardly His. He wants you to be healed, so He has kept the source of healing where the need for healing lies. You have tried to do just the opposite, making every attempt, however distorted and fantastic it might be, to separate healing from the sickness for which it was intended, and thus keep the sickness, Your purpose was to ensure that healing did not occur. God's purpose was to ensure that it did. Today we practice realizing that God's will and ours are really the same in this. God wants us to be healed and we do not really want to be sick because it makes us unhappy. Therefore, in accepting the idea for today, we are really in agreement with God. He does not want us to be sick, neither do we. He wants us to be healed, so do we. We are ready for two longer practice periods today, each of which should last some 10 to 15 minutes. We will, however, still let you decide when to undertake them. We will follow this practice for a number of lessons and it would again be well to decide in advance when would be a good time to lay aside for each of them and then adhering to your own decisions as closely as possible. Begin these practice periods by repeating the idea for today, adding a statement signifying your recognition that salvation comes from nothing outside of you. You might put it this way, my salvation comes from me, it cannot come from anywhere else. Then devote a few minutes with your eyes closed to reviewing some of the external places where you have looked for salvation in the past. In other people, in possessions, in various situations and events, and in self-concepts that you sought to make real. Recognize that it is not there and tell yourself, My salvation cannot come from any of these things. My salvation comes from me and only from me. Now we will try again to reach the light in you, which is where your salvation is. You cannot find it in the clouds that surround the light, and it is in them you have been looking for it. It is not there. It is past the clouds and in the light beyond. Remember that you will have to go through the clouds before you can reach the light. But remember also that you have never found anything in the cloud patterns you imagined that endured or that you wanted. Since all illusions of salvation have failed you, surely you do not want to remain in the clouds looking vainly for idols there when you could so easily walk on into the light of real salvation. Try to pass the clouds by whatever means appeals to you. If it helps you, Think of me holding your hand and leading you. And I assure you, this will be no idle fantasy. For the short and frequent practice periods today, remind yourself that your salvation comes from you and nothing but your own thoughts can hamper your progress. You are free from all external interference. You are in charge of your salvation. You are in charge of the salvation of the world. Say then, my salvation comes from me. Nothing outside of me can hold me back. Within me is the world's salvation and my own. And I'm going to continue on with Lesson 71, called Only God's Plan for Salvation Will Work. You may not realize that the ego has set up a plan for salvation in opposition to God's. It is this plan in which you believe. Since it is the opposite of God's, you also believe that to accept God's plan in place of the egos is to be damned. This sounds preposterous, of course, yet after we have considered just what the ego's plan is, perhaps you will realize that however preposterous it may be, you do believe in it. The ego's plan for salvation centers around holding grievances. It maintains that if someone else spoke or acted differently, if some external circumstance or event were changed, you would be saved. Thus, the source of salvation is constantly perceived as outside yourself. Each grievance you hold is a declaration and an assertion in which you believe that says, if this were different, I would be saved. The change of mind necessary for salvation is thus demanded of everyone and everything except yourself. The role assigned to your own mind in this plan, then, is simply to determine what other than itself must change if you are to be saved. According to this insane plan, any perceived source of salvation is acceptable, provided that it will not work. This ensures that the fruitless search will continue, for the illusion persists that, although this hope has always failed, there is still grounds for hope in other places and in other things. Another person will yet serve better, another situation will yet offer success. Such is the ego's plan for your salvation. Surely you can see how it is in strict accord with the ego's basic doctrine seek but do not find. For what could more surely guarantee that you will not find salvation than to channelize all your efforts in searching for it where it is not? God's plan for salvation works simply because, by following His direction, you seek for salvation where it is. But if you are to succeed, as God promises you will, you must be willing to seek there only. Otherwise, your purpose is divided and you will attempt to follow two plans for salvation that are diametrically opposed in all ways. The result can only bring confusion, misery, and a deep sense of failure and despair. How can you escape all this? Very simply, the idea for today is the answer. Only God's plan for salvation will work. There can be no real conflict about this because there is no possible alternative to God's plan that will save you. His is the only plan that is certain in its outcome. His is the only plan that must succeed. Let us practice recognizing this certainty today and let us rejoice that there is an answer to what seems to be a conflict with no resolution possible. All things are possible to God. Salvation must be yours because of His plan which cannot fail. Begin the two longer practice periods for today by thinking about today's idea and realize that it contains two parts, each making equal contribution to the whole. God's plan for your salvation will work and other plans will not. Do not allow yourself to become depressed or angry at the second part. It is inherent in the first. And in the first is your full release from all your own insane attempts and mad proposals to free yourself. They have led to depression and anger, but God's plan will succeed. It will lead to release and joy. Remembering this, let us devote the remainder of the extended practice periods to asking God to reveal his plan to us. Ask him very specifically, What would you have me do? Where would you have me go? What would you have me say and to whom? Give him full charge of the rest of the practice period and let him tell you what needs to be done by you In his plan for your salvation he will answer in proportion to your willingness to hear his voice refuse not to hear the very fact that you are doing the exercises proves that you have some willingness to listen this is enough to establish your claim to God's answer in the shorter practice periods tell yourself often that God's plan for salvation and only his will work be alert to all temptation to hold grievances today and respond to them with this form of today's idea. Holding grievances is the opposite of God's plan for salvation, and only His plan will work. Try to remember today's idea some six or seven times an hour. There could be no better way than to spend a half a minute or less than to remember the source of your salvation and to see it where it is. Okay, so that gets, that gets a little bit, I don't know, almost preachy. But when I read it, I'm reading it because... I'm reading it as if it's talking to me. I'm not reading it to you as if I'm teaching. I'm reading it as a student trying to listen to what the book is saying. And this book of any book I've ever read has helped me with the goal of the book, which is simply peace of mind. It's not a book to win the lottery. It's not a book to get rich quick. It's not a book to find the perfect partner. It's simply a book to give you peace of mind and that's really the goal of the whole book. And it's interesting because this whole idea of salvation just means peace. It doesn't mean uh, happiness in the world or you know money or anything. It just means peace. And the salvation is only available inside of you. You'll never find it by looking outwards. You'll never find it by hoping, like that lesson was saying, you're hoping, that someone does something and if they just had said a different thing, you'd be fine. That's the way most people spend their whole day. And that's, that's the direction that this book is trying to teach you to realign your thinking. Realign your mind. Don't feel like what somebody says or does can influence you at all. That's the whole idea of the thing about Jesus' uh, forgiving The whole idea of forgiveness in the Course is, it's not forgiveness because you're better than somebody and you can let them mess up and you'll forgive them. The whole secret to forgiveness in the Course is, nothing you do means anything. Nothing I do means anything. And in order for the peace to occur, you have to forgive what you see. And you also have to forgive what you do. So anyway, that's my salvation segment of the hour. I'm glad you spent some time with me today. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Free consultations, 895-3353. Remember, you have till April 30th, but don't be late. I'll talk to you next time on Business Buzz. See you later. KKXX Paradise K280GL Chico and K283AR. Tower from townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. The funerals began today for some of the 320 victims of the bombings of Christian churches in Sri Lanka.